Hey, Forge family. This is going to be episode number nine of the Jacob story in podcast form. And I want us to begin by zooming out, pull back from all this story, all this narrative, all that we've heard about Jacob, and ask yourself these questions. What is it that God has been doing to be faithful to keep his promises to Jacob, to this man who has loose scruples, this man who lives by his wits. You see, this Jacob is the third generation of non-idolaters. Abraham first, then Isaac, and then Jacob. They don't worship idols. They call on the God of Abraham, this living, present God who makes promises to them. Okay, remember, Jacob wanted the birthright, which because that's tied to the blessing of this God. And so he acquires both of those, first from Esau and then from Isaac. On his outbound leg, as he flees the, the, the anger, the wrath, the murderous anger of, of Esau, he encounters angels and the God of Abraham meets him at a place he names, Jacob names, Bethel, the house of God. He goes on to Haran. He goes 400 miles out out of the land of Canaan, and he goes to the house of Laban, his uncle. And while he's there, he works for Laban, and he gets first Leah and then Rachel as wives. That's out of order. You know, he, he wanted Rachel, and he wanted Joseph to be the firstborn, but that, that's the inversion of the primogeniture rules that God does. He puts Leah first, and out of Leah comes the one who will carry the seed the seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the king through king david all the way to jesus leah gives birth to judah and from judah comes david and from david comes jesus when finally god says time to go time to leave laban now the atmosphere had shifted there was jealousy you know uh, laban's face had shifted he leaves Laban's house as a wealthy man. He has flocks and herds and, and cattle and camels and servants, and he, he goes out as a wealthy man. God has kept his promise to prosper him. God has kept his promise that there would be a multitude of descendants that would start from these 13 children. And then on the way back into you know, he's, he's trying to get away from Laban, and he has to make a covenant with Laban. God protects him. God, God you know, has his back. Laban cannot hurt him. Okay, but as Jacob comes into the promised land, he, has to, he encounters angels and Mahanaim. Okay, even, even in that, there's some sense of hostility. There's an encounter there that he has to do, has to have with these angels. But God protects him all the way into and up to the border of the promised land. He is at the Jordan. Okay, so let's pray, Lord. Father, we want to zoom back in now. You, you, Lord, you've, you've kept your promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Lord, you're, you're not pleased with Jacob's lack of scruples, but you don't overlook those and pass on. Lord, you have your plan, just as you have for us. You have your plan to lay out our destiny, our walk with you. So, Lord, as we come back to this text, help us get ready to receive what is for us and what is for the church, what is for Forge. 
in Jesus' name. So in chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 4, as Jacob comes to the border of the promised land, he needs to let his brother Esau know, I'm back. And so he sends messengers out to say, uh, yeah, I, I've got flocks and herds and, and family, and I'm coming back. Now, he compresses 20 years of labor for Laban, his uncle, into three words. He says, I've been, I've been sojourning with Laban. Quote, I stayed until now, unquote. 20 years in three words. He sends off the messengers. They deliver the message. And amazingly, almost miraculously, his messengers return alive. You see, if, if Laban still had murderous intent, he could have killed those messengers, taken the valuable camels that they rode, and come stealthily to attack the camp of Jacob. He doesn't do that. The messengers come back and say, oh yes, Esau's coming, and he's got 400 men with him. Well, in the Hebrew text, that language denotes the possibility, the strong possibility of hostility. This is an armed militia that's coming with Esau. Verse 7, has Jacob thrown into great fear and distress? He's, you know, his, his robe is in a twist, okay? And so out of that comes his immediate decision to divide everything he has you know, in terms of servants and herds and flocks, he divides those right down the middle. And he puts one group to the left and one group to the right. And, his lo and the logic is, if Esau comes and attacks one of those groups, the other will escape. So he creates two companies. You know, two, he splits his wealth in half and sends one to the right and one to the left. You see, he can't retreat. He can't go back. His back is up against the steep slopes of the Rift Valley above the Jordan River. If he goes back up onto the plateau, if he goes back up to the plains of Gilead, he is in violation of his covenant with Laban. And Laban said, you pass this pillar we set up and the covenant we made, I will kill you. Can't go back. Has to go forward. So then we have the first recorded prayer of Jacob. And it's also the only extended prayer in the book of Genesis. And what he does is he plays back to God what God has already said to him. Hey folks, Forgies, pray the word back to God. If God has said it, it delights him to have it prayed back to him. Okay, that's just a little parenthetical thing here. Okay, when you need his presence and his attention, pray back to him the word. So verse 9 says, he addresses God as the God of his father Abraham, the God of father Isaac. And he, and, he, and he reminds, he says, God, you said to me, to Jacob, to me, return to the country of Canaan and I will prosper you. And, and at that point, he puts God on notice. He intends to keep God to his promises. He's going to hold him to what has been spoken over him. Verse 10 Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm, in fact, I'm unworthy for all of your loving kindness and all your faithfulness that you've shown to me, thy servant. He identifies himself, first time, as the servant of God. Not many places in Scripture does any man stand up and say, I am 
God's servant. That is a great study all by itself. I'll just recommend it to you. Go pull out your, you know, go pull out your uh, concordance and figure out who was it that spoke as the servant of the Lord. Jacob's one of them. Jacob is the first. Okay? And then verse 11 says, uh, You delivered me from the hand of Esau once. Okay, now do it again. Deliver me from the hand of my brother who I fear is going to come and kill mother and son with the sword. Okay? That says, God, my descendants, for which you promised you would make a multitude, my descendants are at risk. You promised you'd give them to me. You promised you'd keep them safe. But now my brother's coming. Please keep the hand of Esau off of me and my wives and my children. That same night, verse 15, you know, he's, he's, he, remember, he starts, he starts with an act and then he prays, secondly, but then he goes right back to his, his schemes, to his machinations. He's, he's trying to do whatever he can do to protect himself. Yes, I've prayed, but I'm not gonna, I just need to go back to work here. That same night, it says, he selects out of goats, sheep, camels, cows, and donkeys. He selects rich gifts, male and female, you know, lactating camels. He's, he, he's, he handpicks the best, some of the best, and he sends off a, a train if you will, of gifts. Five different droves of livestock with servants who are supposed to have separation between them. And he goes, okay, time to go. All right, goats, you leave. Looks at the, looks at the, at the, the passage of the stars and the moon says, okay, now it's time for um, sheep to leave. Okay, the sheep leave, then the camels, then the cows, then the donkeys. He spaces out these these magnanimous gifts to get out ahead of him. And he tells those servants, when you run into Esau, Esau says, well, who, who does this belong to? You are to say to him, these animals belong to Jacob. And they're being sent as a gift to Esau. See, what he's doing is he's sending a cloud of surrounding gifts to gather around Esau. That gives him the psychological edge. Someone who is not paying tribute, he says this is a gift. Okay? And then he says, I will appease Esau. Afterward, that I might see Esau's face, perhaps he will accept me. You know, he's coming back into a place where he comes as a servant and he comes to a place where he is not coming as a proud owner of the birthright and the blessing. And then in that same night, he's had a busy night already, okay? In that same night, he sends his wives, their handmaidens, which include his Bilhah and Zilpah, the, the handmaidens that came from from his marriages, they're also wives, and he sends his children and all that he has. He takes everything, all the baggage, all the wealth, everything he's got, and he gets it across the stream of the Jabbok River. That's a risky business, fording a stream while you're carrying stuff in the middle of the night. But he gets them across the river away from him. Okay, 
And, and what he's done is he's, he's now standing on the bank of what today is called the Nar Ez Zarka, the Blue River. This is a 50-mile-long river that runs from east to west, and it's headed downhill from about 2,000 feet in elevation, 1,900 feet in elevation, down to 160 feet in elevation, and it runs into the Jordan River 20 miles upstream, 20 miles north of the Dead Sea. And he's standing on the edge here. He's got, a, he's got the Jordan in front of him. He's got the Jabbok to his right. And so what he's done is he's shifted his, he's shifted his family, he's shifted his wealth that's left. Everything he has goes at night across that river. He's desperately trying to plan ahead for all contingencies. Verse 32, excuse me, chapter 20, uh, 32, verse 34, the text says, Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. You see, somebody showed up in the dark, darkest hours of the night, when, when the human spirit, when the human energies are at their lowest. This man has divested himself of all that he owns, all that he holds dear. He sent it away, and at that low point, this figure comes out of the dark and engages him. Now, it speaks here that this wrestling match went on until daybreak. All right, that, that, that talks volumes about the immense strength and endurance of the man Jacob. Because, quote, this man, unquote, wrestles with Jacob and he sees he has not overcome Jacob. He's not beaten him. Okay? And, and because the, there's a slice of light that's starting to rise in the east, the dawn is coming, this, quote, man reaches out and touches the hip socket of his opponent, of, of Jacob. He touches the hip and throws it into a dislocation with a touch. Now, if any of you have ever had a dislocated joint or been around someone who dislocated a, a wrist, an elbow, an ankle, a knee, if there's a dislocation and you've been around it, you know either you've experienced it or you've seen it, that produces searing pain, Astounding pain. It's 12 or 15 on the scale of 10. I mean, you can literally pass out from the pain. You start going into shock. And, and immediately, you lose the function of that limb. You lose the ability to... In this case, Jacob loses the function of his leg. He can't put weight on it. It's a useless, screaming, painful appendage. All that Jacob can do, the only thing he can do, is hang on. And he locks himself to this opponent. And the opponent, verse 26 says, let me go because the day is breaking. Dawn is coming. Now, it is here that Jacob knows. Jacob knows. Jacob knows. He is grappling with a supernatural being. Someone who's matched him strength for strength, move for move, but with the flick of a hand, with the touch, he has lamed Jacob. And all Jacob could do is, is cling to him. 
Not grapple, just hang on. Don't let any, any gap, there's no space between them so that he can't be flung aside and, and this other man get away, if you will. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Something has dawned on Jacob that he is wrestling with someone who can bless him. Who would that be? That's God. Okay? And, he, and, and so this figure in the dark, in the dark says, what is your name? Well, Jacob has to own up to the fact of who he really is. And out of his, out of his gasps, I mean, hours, you're talking about hours of wrestling. You're talking about amazing aerobic capacity to keep going. But there's intense pain. There's unbelievable pain. And so probably through clenched teeth, through the hiss of pain, out of Jacob comes, my name is heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. I'm a man of sly ways, and my identity is one of deceit. He finally has to own up to all that he is and what he's done. See, in the Old Testament, a name, anyone who has a name in the Old Testament, the name speaks of works, character, and reputation. The name of Jacob wasn't something to be proud of. See, not only has Jacob come face to face with God, he's been forced to come face to face with himself. Verse 28, your name, says this figure, says this man, this, this in human form with immense strength and capacity that's, that's honestly being held under, in check, under control. He says, your name no longer will be Jacob. Verse 28, but your name will be Israel, Israel, which means you have striven, struggled, wrestled, Grappled with God and with man, and you've over and you've prevailed. Now, zoom in, zoom in, Forge, right in the middle of verse 28. It says, Your name is going to be Israel, for you've striven with God and with me. So, Forges, who is this? Who is this me that is speaking? Now, many commentators, I mean many commentators, express their, 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 their insights and their opinions, and they, some say, oh, this, this is an angel. This is a messenger from God. This is the angel that oversees Esau. This is the angel who's on the border of, his, of, of, of the land that's going to become Israel. This is, you know, this couldn't possibly be God. You know, they would just flat say, uh-uh, that's, that's inconceivable. Okay, but I would suggest to you, okay, because of the blessing, because of the authority to change the name and change the character and change the works, and change, you know, because of the authority to produce transformation in Jacob. This is a Christophany. This is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ who has moved temporarily from spirit form, part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son has come in human form, to grapple with Jacob. And 
It is God who initiates this. See, God is more concerned about transformation of Jacob's heart than caring for him and, and providing protection. See, God initiates this chest-to-chest, face-to-face wrestling match. Now, some of us have had the opportunity to watch what's called MMA, uh, Mixed Martial Arts. Okay, so in the championship, you know, when, there's a, when there's a championship uh, bout that's on the line, those are five five-minute rounds. You know, and those two opponents go at each other, striking and wrestling and, and trying submission skills to win, to, to drive the other person into submission, to win, either by knockout or by decision or whatever. But trust me, after 25 minutes of fight with five short breathers, they are exhausted. Sometimes they go to the hospital. They've lost so much fluid. They've incurred so much damage. They just go to the hospital. Here... Jacob wrestles until dawn. Now, he's wrestled and struggled with his brother, with his father, with his father-in-law. And now, Jacob, we would say he takes on God. It's the other way around. God takes on Jacob. And they struggle, see, but they don't win. Neither can overcome the other. Neither can gain any, any advantage. Until this Christ figure touches the hip of Jacob and he's left only with the power to hang on and to press in. Now, it, obviously at this point, this figure, this me figure in the text says, let me go. You know, the day is breaking. There are a number of other places in the scriptures where God is present and he desires to go, to pass on to go around, to say, I'm done here. Okay, you have the occasion where there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee and the, and the disciples are in the boats and they're rowing and rowing and rowing. They can't put up the sail because they're, they would be beached. That Their sail would drive them right back on the shore they came from. So they're rowing and they've rowed all night long. They're exhausted and they've made no progress. And here comes Jesus walking on the water and making as if he would pass them by. He's going home. But they cry out. They call out. Now they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. You know, but they cry out. Okay? And he turns aside. He comes to them. Now the two, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Okay? They're arguing and holding their heads and, and, and exclaiming about all the events that have happened in Jerusalem. The curtain has been torn down the middle between the holy place and the holy of holies. You know, there's been resurrections. There's, you know, and then this morning, you know, there was the, the stone was rolled away from the tomb where they laid Jesus on Friday, and, and some say they have seen angels, and some said they've seen Jesus. And suddenly, Jesus is there on the road with them, incognito, and he says, what's happening, guys? And they tell him, and he says, don't you get it? That the Messiah had to suffer, that he had to go through these things. And so he teaches them and walks with them, and he opens the Old Testament, and they pull up in front of, a, of an inn, and, and the, two, the two disciples are getting ready to go in at the end of the day. We're done. We're going to have a meal, and we're going to spend the night. And, and Jesus makes as if he is going on. He's walking on, and they have to prevail on him to come in with them, and there he breaks bread. And he's revealed. Okay, so what I have for you, Forge, is this. 
Okay? We overcome him when we don't let him get away. <laughs> we overcome when we yield. Okay? When we drop our earthbound selfishness. See, in that place, in Peniel, where, where this wrestling match happens at night, there's a shift in heaven. Okay? God's mercy has flowed to Isaac. He's not crushed. He's not destroyed. He's still there. And there's been a shift on earth. There's new intimacy, but it comes with a new limp. And there's this reminder of God's power and God's mercy with every step he will take for the rest of his life. So when I was in, in midlife, uh, mid-40s, I made a decision to go to seminary because I needed, I thought, if I wanted pulpit ministry that I felt called to, teaching ministry that I felt called to, then I needed the union card that would be acceptable to pulpit search committees. And But when I graduated from, from seminary and I was available for pulpit duty in various churches, I scared the socks off those, those uh, church committees because I knew very clearly what it was that God had called me to do and what I was not called to do. And I wasn't going to do maintenance mode ministry to keep that church in the exact same position it had always been in. I felt like I was a fire hose, a charged fire hose with a knot in it. I had passion. I had content. I had zeal. I was ready to pour out. And finally Jan came to me. My wife came to me and she said, God doesn't need what you have to say. God wants you. That was a hard saying. But it was true. See, we all struggle with God. Well, we all want some measure of control, which is impossible, okay? Because God is the one who's in charge. We all have wrestlings with him. And he initiates those. He is at work. He has a plan. He longs for us to yield to him and cling to him. Remember, C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that, that series uh, on... Uh, of, of books that are typically read to children but are understood deeply by adults, in which he, uh, Lewis characterizes Aslan, this mighty lion, as Christ personified in the stories. And he says of Aslan, yes, he is good, but he is not safe. So, Forgies, by the Holy Spirit, I want you to take a deep breath. Just, just take a big deep breath. Let it out. And by Holy Spirit, in prayer, receive this living, good, unsafe God. Receive the God who longs for you to come and cling to him. Receive this God who longs for us to demand that he stay. Don't pass you by. Don't pass me by, Lord. Receive the God who longs to bless you. Receive the God who longs for you to be transformed into his ways. All right, Forge family. I love you.
We'll see each other soon. God bless.